one-week season. going on OWS fam welcome to the week 12 edition of the OWS angles podcast I am your host I am your guest I am traveling uh, I am JM to win as always throw this baby on 1.5 x speed or 2x speed and let's get started with do I say this sometimes it might actually be my favorite slate of the season I'll talk about that in a little bit. Real quickly, if you're watching this on YouTube, we are, again, I'm traveling, as you can see by my background. Uh, internet has been sort of hit and miss here. So cut out in the middle of my show with Pete Overzet. Uh, there have been times where internet speed test says that the speed is very slow. Other times it says speed is very fast. So uh, my face isn't as crisp as normal. My uh, The visuals might cut in and out a little bit. But as long as the Audio stays good as long as uh, the stream stays up. We should be good to go. So uh, with that, let's go ahead and dive in. Uh, actually, before we dive in, really quickly, if you are new to this podcast, if you are new to the uh, concepts that we're going to talk about today, if any of this appeals to you, uh, or if you're not new to any of this and you just don't typically head over to the actual site for OWS uh want to quickly note that uh, we have a Black Friday, several Black Friday deals going on. So uh, Inner Circle typically is like 137 bucks for the rest, 229, but it's 137 for the rest of the season. It's 49 right now through the end of Monday Night Football. Uh, Props Insider, typically 999. Profit on the year is up to, actually I'll talk about that in a moment, up to over 12,000. Uh, only 599 for Props Insider right now, 50% off of all courses in the DFS education marketplace. Uh, it is 75% off for Inner Circle members. So you can actually grab Inner Circle and then grab some courses and get 75% off. 39 bucks for the optimizer the rest of the year. Uh, and then I also talked a couple of weeks ago, I said you know, that this total profit and Props Insider have been hovering at around $10,000 for a couple of weeks and that people typically wait until there's a spike before they react on something like that. And I said that one of these weeks we're going to look up, it's going to be sitting at $12,000. Well, it's now $12,022. So that's hundred bucks a unit. So that means plus 120 units. Uh, we still have seven months of NBA left. So last year we were plus 90 units in NBA. Uh, so still a good time to get in. You get that $5.99 deal. There's only 30 spots left out of 350 in Props Insider. So shout out to the Props Insider team, the incredible job that they do. But with that, let's go ahead and dive into this week's slate. And okay, why is this one of my favorite slates of the season? Let's start at the top, kind of start and work through my notes that I made for this podcast. First thing is we have the highest total on the slate. Well, actually, let's let's zoom out a little bit first. There's kind of two camps that we're competing against in DFS. Uh, and again, for any of you who are new here, what we focus on at, on OWS is DFS is not a game of picking players. DFS is a game of strategy. It's a game of game theory. And so we do every week kind of sort through the slate and figure out who the best plays on paper are, but also... Projection systems do a good job doing that. Simulations do a good job doing that. Uh, what we want to basically do is say, 
beyond just who the good plays on the slate are, what are the best strategies for winning on this particular slate? So on this podcast, we typically kind of dig down to the second and third layers on what the shape of the slate is, what the best strategies are for attacking the slate in question. There's literally like a, like a woodpecker banging on the side of this house. Um, so I don't know if you guys can hear that, if the mic picks that up, but uh, welcome to Thanksgiving in the woods in, in Missouri, if you are able to pick that up. Uh, okay. So um, there's kind of two camps that we're competing against for in DFS. There's the field and the field is kind of the casual players, the people who might not see themselves as casual players. Maybe they're working hard, but they're, they don't necessarily know all the ins and outs of how to win in DFS. These are the people who have maybe never had a first place finish and they've never, maybe even never gotten a 200 point score. And when they get one of those, it's like, man, what a week I just had. Um, and then there's the, people were really competing against for, for first place, which is the people generally, generally speaking, who play all the DFS sports and whose edge is not knowing the NFL really well. Their edge is understanding DFS strategy and theory, understanding how to apply that to every sport that they're playing so that they are profitable over time in every sport that they are playing. So the first group on a week like this I see a lot of mistakes that they're probably going to make based on recency bias, based on perceptions around certain teams, certain players. And then the second group, well, the second group, again, they're playing all the sports and, and they're largely relying on projections, simulations, relying on optimizers and as their starting point, right? And what do those systems rely on? Those systems rely on over-unders for games. They rely on implied team totals. And that's really a core starting point for those systems. Uh, on top of that, the guys who kind of branch beyond just looking at the optimizers and all that, uh, the projections, what they're typically going to look at is they're going to look at the implied team totals and sort of start start their working through of the site from that point moving forward. So on this particular week, we can see some opportunities for those people to make mistakes. So one of the things that we always want to look to take advantage of is weeks where what we're seeing is very different from what that second set of players is seeing. So just because of what I'm seeing is different from what that second set of players is seeing doesn't mean that that's necessarily what you're seeing. You should still think through your own thoughts, what you're seeing on this particular slate. But at the same time, you can kind of say, oh, well, JM was seeing this and maybe I can lean into his thoughts a little bit. And, or maybe I was seeing this as well. And so I could feel a little bit more confident leaning into what, what I was seeing here because JM was also seeing this. And look, just because a slate sets up this way where I'll say it like this. On my show with Pete Overzet, we built a roster. Uh, every week we build a roster on that show. And at the end of that show this week, we built a roster. And my roster, the roster we built, was basically, by and large, kind of just my favorite plays. And if we took the defense off of that roster, defense was, was the Chiefs, who will be very popular this week, maybe 20% owned, maybe 25% owned. But if we took the defense off of that roster, the cumulative ownership on that roster might have been under 30%. So it wasn't me trying to be contrarian, me trying to be different. It was just like, let me fill up this roster with kind of my favorite plays. And it was like, man, and all of these are low owned or this, this set as a whole is super low owned. Uh, and so when, when we can find an opportunity like that, that sets us so far ahead of the field. And so uh, this is kind of like working through when I did all my research on Wednesday, uh, wrote up my DFS interpretations for all the games, worked through the roster, through the slate somewhere, spent like, three hours on Thanksgiving night after, after everybody went to bed, working through the, uh, the, this slate some more in the DraftKings app and looking up some stuff and jotting down some notes. And then as I always do on Friday morning, opened up ownership projections for the first time. And it was like, oh my goodness, like everything I like 
is lower owned than it should be. And there were certain spots where I expected that to be the case, other spots where I didn't expect that to be the case, but that is the case. And and similarly to what we're talking about above, it was because of the implied team totals and what the optimizers are going to be spitting out, what projections are going to be spitting out. Now, all of this is said with the caveat that Friday ownership projections are largely algorithm driven. They are largely driven by what is being spit out in optimizers as opposed to what's being talked about in the industry and what people might be seeing. So some of these spots, the ownership projections on these guys who are currently really low owned might rise a little bit because more and more people will see these angles and talk about them throughout the weekend. The ownership will rise uh, among sharp players and the field as a result of that. But right now, everything's kind of looking like, hey, some of these really sharp plays are going to be really low owned. And we'll get a chance to talk about some of these in this show. And then obviously the rest of them we will hit on in the player grid. Uh, So one of the first things I'm seeing on the slate, highest total on the slate is Kansas City. So I made these notes before looking at ownership projections. I was kind of hoping that the Kansas City game would draw a lot of attention from optimizers, from projection systems because of this high total. That's not ending up being the case right now. Uh, projection systems are starting to catch on to the fact that this Kansas City offense is, you know, high total doesn't necessarily correlate to high uh, DFS production, fantasy production for these players. But uh, one of the things that I tracked this week was I went through all the teams playing on the slate and and kind of laid out how many games of 27.2 or more DraftKings points these teams had produced. So how many times an individual player on the Chiefs, an individual player on the Panthers, an individual player on the Giants, on the Bengals, et cetera, had scored 27.2 or more DraftKings points. So kind of getting close to that 30 plus point threshold, uh, 27.2 is kind of an odd figure, but that's just sort of a mark that I've chosen based on a, a number of factors that I like to look at. So uh, 27.2 or more DraftKings points. So Kansas City has only produced two games this year from their entire offense of player of of players scoring 27.2 or more DraftKings points. So uh, you're talking about the highest implied team total on the slate, and yet how often are you getting tournament winning scores from this off- offense? Not very often. So to put those two scores into context, the Panthers have or the Titans have two such scores, the Giants have two such scores, uh, the Saints have two such scores, the Colts are the only team on this slate with only, oh, the Colts and the Steelers are the only teams on this slate with only one such score. Now, obviously there is context that has to be thought about here, right? So the Steelers and Colts only have one such game with with a player scoring 27.2 or more DraftKings points, but also the Steelers don't have anybody priced above what, like 5,200, and the Colts have one player priced above well, actually, they have two because Jonathan Taylor and uh, Michael Pittman. Uh, so they have two players priced above 4,800 where Josh Downs is. So, um, you know, in terms of those guys can still be valuable because if somebody, if Josh Downs scores 22, 23 points, there's still a lot of value in that. If Jalen Warren comes out and once again scores 20 plus points, there's a lot of value in that. We'll talk about Jalen Warren a little bit more deeper into the show. Uh, so you want to think about things in the context of salary as well as these tournament winning scores. But Tournament winning scores are always something we want to think about regardless of price tag. And especially on a week like this where things don't line up to where we look at the site and say, oh, there's going to be a bunch of 30 point scores this weekend. There's probably going to be a very limited number of 30 point scores this weekend. And so we want to be very judicious in how we're approaching our rosters, how we're thinking about getting as many of these potential 30 plus point scores as possible or 27.2 plus point scores as possible 
onto our roster. Again, an arbitrary number. If you get 25 points, you're still pretty happy with that. Even as long as you're not paying 9K for 25 points, you're going to be pretty happy. Uh, kind of anytime you get 30 plus points, you're always going to be happy regardless of what you paid for that player. But uh, other other teams on this slate, how many times they've put up 27.2 or more points. The Bengals have done it four times. Uh, the Rams and Eagles have both produced five of those 27.2 or higher DraftKings scores. Rams, uh, largely early in the season before Cooper Cup came back, this super concentrated offense with Puka Nakua, Kyron Williams, uh, getting those these opportunities for. Uh, actually, let's say it like this. We, I think we talked about this a little bit last week. Definitely dove into this in the Winter Circle podcast on uh, Tuesday, Wednesday this week. But the typical total DraftKings points from an offense, take away the quarterback, typically total DraftKings points from an offense is going to be 55 to 75 points. So the more concentrated the offense is, the more opportunity there is for one player to score 27 or more points, for one player to score 30 or more points. So uh, then you have those, you know, like the 49ers are typically going to be more in like the 70, 65 to 80 point range in terms of their skill position players combined, what they're going to score. Uh, the Jags are typically going to be in like the 55 to 65 point range. They rarely get above that 65 point threshold. So different teams kind of fall into different places in this range. And then teams like the Patriots, Giants, they might fall below that 55 point range a lot of times. Uh, and kind of when they have their good games, they get up into like 55, 60 total combined points. Uh, then there's these instances like the Buccaneers against, or the Texans against the Buccaneers, where you get like 112 combined points, which is why overstacking can be so powerful, so valuable. Uh, again, something we dove deeper into in the Winter Circle podcast this last week. Uh, something we'll hit on a little bit more deeply moving throughout the season. Uh, realized earlier this week that that's something we we actually hit on pretty deeply in Winter Circle in 2021 and 2022. Again, Winter Circle is our, our midweek training and strategy podcast, uh, kind of talking macro DFS th through the lens of the week behind or the week ahead. Um, so we hit on that a lot the last couple of years, really haven't touched on it much this year, but it's one of the most valuable ways to think about how many points we can get out of this group of players, this pair of players, this trio of players, uh, what would we need to happen in, or in order for it to be valuable to play three players from this offense where we need an outlier game because typically you're getting 55, 65, 75 points from a total offense. So, you know, what are your chances of getting 75 to 95 points from like three players who combine for uh, 25K in salary or, or, or I should say, you know, 17, 18, 19K in salary. So uh, always think about these things. Uh, boiling it down to how many points you can really get from an offense as a whole is valuable. So I, I say that against this backdrop of this Rams offense earlier in the year, you know, they're still going to score their 55 to 75 total points as an offense, take away the quarterback uh, 55 to 75 points. And so when they didn't have Cooper cup and it was really just Puka and Tutu and, and um, Kyron Williams, they really still weren't using Tyler Higby at the time. Well, there's going to be a huge opportunity for those guys to have those 27.2 or higher point scores. Uh, Eagles have done it five times. Goddard did it once. DeAndre Swift has done it once. AJ Brown has done it three times. The Texans have done it eight times. We'll talk about the Texans some more deeper into this show as well. Uh, so Kansas City doing this only two times all season. Well, that, that's like, a you know, really kind of a stay away type of flag, right? Where the implied team total is high, but the underlying metrics tell you stay away. Now, again, pricing is important as part of this. Uh, so Kansas City has done it six times where they've had a player go 4X their salary this week, six times kind of middle of the pack, but it's been six different players 
who have done it. So Kelsey's done it once. Pacheco's done it once. McKinnon's done it once. MVS has done it once. Justin Watson has done it once. And Sky Moore has done it once. So what we're always trying to do is turn the math in our favor. When you have six players on an offense who have gone for four X their salary and none of them have done it more than once, that kind of shows you, again, four X being that keeps you on a 200 point pace just from like if every player on your roster went for four X their salary, you would be on a 200 point pace. So that kind of shows you like how difficult it is to really pinpoint upside and value from this Kansas City offense. So uh, then the next question you want to ask is, okay, so how often will a player from this offense bury me for not having rostered them? How often will I run into a situation where it's like, man, I didn't have this one player from Kansas City. Now I can't win this weekend. Well, so far it's only happened once this year. It was, it was Kelsey's monster game. What was it? 38 points or something like that. So a uh, very interesting spot to highlight with them having the highest implied team total on the slate. Now, the next thing that's interesting to me on this slate is there's this list of quote games that could ascend. So when I was looking through the slate last night, one of the things that I, I kind of went through and tried to highlight for myself was which games could just separate from the field, which games could be really high scoring. And a lot of times you can kind of make a case for a number of games. And it was interesting to me last night that it was like, very quickly, I was like, can cross off this game. I can cross off this game. I can cross off this game. I can cross off this game. Just not in terms of like, I'm not playing players from this game. Now, uh, a lot of our sharpest competition, that is kind of how they process that. It's like, okay, I'm crossing this game off my list. I'm crossing this game off my list. You'll see in a moment why it can be valuable on a week like this to not do that. I'll talk about a couple games that are interesting spots, but uh, there are a number of games where it's like, when you ask that question, could this game ascend no, 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 no. There's really four games on this slate that could separate from all the other games on the slate. Um, okay, checking to make sure that this is still recording and the internet hasn't uh, pooped out on me yet. So, uh, okay, Jags and Texans is one of those games. Uh, pretty interesting, you know, small sample size, but we've had two games with a Shanahan type offense against this Jags defense. The Jags defense is actually pretty capable, right? They've been a solid defense. One of the top defenses is in EPA per play. One of the top defenses is in DVOA. Um, but, you know, we've kind of seen every once in a while, a player, a, a pass catcher has a big game against them. And then a couple times this year, a team and offense has had a big game against them. Uh, both of those times was a Shanahan style offense. So it was the Texans back in week three, and then it was the 49ers a couple weeks ago. And that was kind of our thesis when the Texans played them in week three was that this was a good spot for the Texans because of the way that their style of offense matched up with the Jags defense. Uh, that was uh, the second of our Tank Dell, you know, smash weeks, Tank Dell 3,600 uh, put up 28 points that week. Um, and then the 49ers, again, it was one of those where we, we spent a lot of time talking about like, okay, the Jags defense is really good because of all these factors. But then also this 49ers offense probably matches up really well against them. We, we were able to take advantage in that spot as well. So uh, definitely a spot where this game could ascend. Um, not really going out on a limb by saying that because I know this is going to be one of the more popular games on the site. Another one that's going to be popular, Bucks and Colts. And I think going to town on that on the house. Uh, okay, uh, another one that could be popular is Bucks, and, or that will be popular is Bucks and Colts. Uh, so the Bucks really concentrated offense. We like that on their side of the ball. Everything uh, you know, Kate Otten gets some spillover targets, and Trey Palmer gets some spillover targets. But they have one of the most concentrated backfields. Everything revolves around Rashad White. To where no, he's not playing all the snaps, but. It's not he's when he's on the sidelines. It's not because they're cycling through other backs the way that other teams do. He's on the sidelines because 
he needs a breather. They got to keep him fresh, right? He is their only back. And he's one of the, it's one of the rare teams that has that. And then all of their plays are designed effectively designed to go to Mike Evans or Chris Godwin, if they're not designed to go to Rashad white. So a uh, concentrated offense, again, every offense typically generally, generally speaking is going to score 55 to 75 points from their skill position players. So when you have a concentrated offense that gives that many more opportunities for one player to pull a lot of the points out of that collective bucket of available points. Uh, and then on the Colts side, the Colts are a run heavy team. And I would, I would venture to guess that with Minshew under center, even going against the bucks that the Colts will still lean run heavy, but the, the, Bucks are a defense that tilts teams heavily toward the air. They're so hard to run against. They are attackable through the air. And so this is one of the spots where the Colts will probably be more run heavy than the typical team against the Bucks, but less run heavy than they typically are. So it kind of tilts things a little bit more toward the pass than normal. It's part of the reason you see Michael Pittman being trending toward being popular, popular this week, Gardner Minshew trending toward being popular this week. I'm sure Josh Downs will also be popular this week, but, uh, Another game where you can say, okay, I can see how this game could kind of ascend above the other games. Uh, Then Rams and Cardinals is another game that uh, could end up being a really interesting game. So teams that have scored 27 plus points against Arizona, the Giants have done it, the 49ers have done it, the Bengals have done it, the Ravens have done it, the Browns have done it. That's a lot of teams to score 27 plus points against a defense. So uh, Rams have only done it two times this year. Um, and then, you know, in terms of teams playing against the Rams, uh, only the Cowboys and 49ers have topped 24 points against the Rams. You know, the Cardinals, obviously they're better with Kyler Murray under center, but this is still a flawed team. It's still a team that, uh, you know, is is going to be one of the bottom. It's, a, it's coming into the season. Everyone thought this team was tanking. Like everyone was saying, this is the worst roster in football. Uh, Jonathan Gannon has had them overperforming throughout the season, but you add Kyler Murray under center, it doesn't change the fact that this is still one of the worst rosters in football. So a better team than people expected them to be, but still like there are holes in this team. So there are ways that this game could trend to the downside, obviously uh, where, you know, the Rams haven't been great at scoring points in bunches, but the Cardinals have been good at allowing teams to score points in bunches. So the Rams could break through in this spot and Kyler Murray could put things together this week to where he ends up uh, having a nice game. The, the Arizona Cardinals are able to stay in this, and this could be one of those games that separates. And then the game that really stands out to me, it's going to be like the central core building block for my rosters this week. And that is bills and Eagles. So, First off, I like the Bills side more than the Eagles side. The, the Eagles will be my trail side. And what I mean by that is, like, I, I currently expect that over 50% of my rosters this week will have Josh Allen. Uh, if I'm playing one quarterback on over 50% of my rosters, I have that kind of trail quarterback. Like, uh, Hertz might be on 8% or 10% or even 12% of my rosters because, it's like, well, I'm betting on this game environment going a particular way. So I still want to think about, well, what if this game environment goes the way I'm expecting, but it's not Josh Allen getting all the points or, or, or I should say Josh Allen isn't the one who tops the quarterback scoring in this spot. So um, Josh Allen is kind of the, the central thesis for me, but I'll have some trail Jalen hurts, which means I'll have some stacks that are led with Eagles pieces. Uh, I'll have some Bills stacks without Eagles pieces as, as bringbacks. And part of that is just um, the Eagles allow a lot more big games than the we get to that in a moment. The Eagles allow, allow a lot more big games than the Bills do. Bills obviously a little bit banged up in the secondary, but not so banged up that it, to me that it makes a dramatic difference, especially for a defense that they're what they're good at more than anything 
is their scheme and their communication and just having guys across the board who don't make mistakes and force an opponent to march the field. So uh, given the price tags on the Eagles pieces, very easily the Eagles could end up staying in this game scoring 24, 27 points and not producing any tournament winning score, especially at the attached price tags. Uh, I actually kind of like the Bills to win this game, even though the game is in Philadelphia, uh, a Bills team that, you know, again, what I was saying above about like taking the, our our sharpest competition that's going to take projections and optimizers and and simulations and all that into account, which are heavily taking into account implied team totals. Well, the bills are only implied to score 22.75 points and they have these high price tags. So optimizers are not spitting them out. And so this team is not going to stand out to that group of builders. And then you have the other group of builders, which is the, the field and the field is kind of wrapped up in this narrative of like, Oh, the bills, they, they're, underwhelming this season they fired their offensive coordinator and things just aren't going their way well the bills rank second in the nfl in epa the bills rank third in the nfl in offensive dvoa uh the bills you know are one of the best six and five teams we've ever seen quite truly right they're a middle of the pack defense like slightly above average defense uh they're a tremendous offense to where and it's also been kind of a situation like what dak ran into last year where uh Dax turnover worthy plays, a metric that PFF charts, uh, Dax turnover worthy plays last year weren't out of line with his career average when he had been pretty good at taking care of the football. It just happened that his turnover worthy plays turned into turnovers at a higher rate than normal last year. And sort of the same thing with Josh Allen this year where uh, Josh Allen, yeah, he turns the ball over more than some other elite quarterbacks, but that's also because he's so aggressive and he makes so many more big plays than a lot of other quarterbacks. Uh, His turnover worthy play rate hasn't been dramatically higher this year than in years past. It's just that the turnovers are happening at a higher rate. And so that all tends to even itself out over time. Uh, It's been a great offense. And, you know, this is still really, by and large, uh, a fringe Super Bowl contender, especially with, you know, Joe Burrow out for the season and Deshaun Watson out for the season, even with Mark Andrews out for the season with Kansas City not being uh, Kansas City of the past. Like the Bills have as good a shot as any offense, uh, or, or I should say of any team. You know, they're right behind the Ravens, the Dolphins, and the Chiefs uh, in terms of who can run through the AFC and make it to the Super Bowl. So, um, the, and, you know, in in the small sample size of one game, anything can happen, right? The Bills might play the Eagles in the Super Bowl and be five-point underdogs, but they can win that game. Honestly, they're only, what, two-and-a-half-point underdogs at Philadelphia this week. So that kind of speaks to how good the, the Bills really are. Uh, so, yeah, this is a, a great spot for the Buffalo passing attack. We talked earlier about um, – Teams that have allowed, you know, 27.2 or more DraftKings points and, and teams that have produced 27.2 or more DraftKings points. So uh, looking at the quarterback position, I think this is pretty critical on this week just to think about in terms of where we can get tournament winning scores. So quarterbacks on this slate, quarterbacks playing on the slate who have scored 27.2 or more DraftKings points. Desmond Ritter has done it once. Mac Jones has done it once. Gardner Minshew has done it once. Russell Wilson has done it once. Trevor Lawrence has done it once. CJ Stroud has done it once. Patrick Mahomes has done it once. Jalen Hurts has done it three times. Josh Allen has done it three times. Also, the Eagles have allowed four quarterbacks to go for 27.2 or more DraftKings points. So when you talk about, you know, we go through this list and you see that it's pretty rare to do it three times, um, you know, among skill position players, uh, Adam Thielen has done it three times and AJ Brown's done it three times. Jamar Chase has done it three times. Like those guys lead the NFL. Uh, Christian McCaffrey has done it three times. They lead the NFL in scores of, of 27.2 or more DraftKings points. Josh Allen is leading all quarterbacks or, or a he, Sam Howell, Jalen Hurts. I think there's maybe one other guy uh, up there at the top who have put up 
three games of 27.2 or more DraftKings points. And then you look at the fact that the Eagles have allowed four quarterbacks to do that. I mean, that, that should really stand out to us in this spot. So Josh Allen, one of these guys who I am totally comfortable losing this week because he has a bad game, because if we played out this thing a hundred times, uh, and, I, and I do think that as we get deeper into the weekend, his ownership will trend upward as projection systems move farther away from just the algorithm based stuff and closer to what people are talking about. Because I would think that there's going to be people like me outside of me who are going to, going to be talking about this spot as like a really sharp spot to attack and saying, Hey, the ownership projections are low and all that. So uh, I do think we'll kind of see some equilibrium work itself out here to where Josh Allen moves up to maybe one of the, the second or third highest owned quarterback, as opposed to fifth highest owned, which is where he is right now on Friday as I record this. But, um, and then this also just this game environment is in a different tier than the others in terms of, you know, I said, these are the games that could ascend. These are the games that could separate. Well, this is the game that could have could that could separate that much more than the others. So a little bit of story time. Some of you who have listened to my content throughout the year, you'll remember this, but uh, a few weeks ago when Philadelphia, after Philadelphia played Miami, uh, Nick Sirianni was asked about the Eagles using up more of the play clock per play early in that game than they typically do. And he was asked, you know, was that strategy to keep the Miami offense off the field? And he got kind of defensive and was like, you know, we, whatever that was, it was just incidental. And he said, listen, we will never be an offense that is using our time on offense to try to keep the opponent off the field. We will always be as aggressive as we can. We will always, always be trying to score as many points as we can as quickly as we can. And that is the fundamental mindset of this Eagles team. They are going to attack, attack, attack. Well, we've talked about this throughout the season. We had a whole like segment in winter circle where we were talking about looking for game environments like this. We've talked about the quote from Patrick Mahomes in the quarterbacks documentary on Netflix this off season, where he talked about playing Tom Brady and how, when you play a team like that, you enter with a different game plan because you know that no lead is safe. You know that you need to score as many points as you can. And so we've seen that play out throughout the season where teams that are playing against an opponent that is capable of putting up a lot of points and is aggressive minded. They come into that game with a more aggressive minded game plan because they know that this is the type of game it's going to be. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy where they're going to say, Hey, we're going to try to score as many points as we can as quickly as we can as well. The opponent is going to do the same thing. And it ends up being this sort of having that opportunity to develop into that back and forth type of game. We saw it with Dallas and Philadelphia. Uh, I certainly expect that we see it here. Now we play out this game a hundred times. Are there going to be times where both teams have that aggressive mindset and the plays don't come together or some drive stall out in the red zone, lead to field goals. And it's just not quite that high scoring game. Absolutely. But if we play out this late a hundred times, are there going to be times where neither team is entering with an aggressive mindset? No, like every time they're going to enter with that aggressive mindset. And so there's going to be that opportunity. I'm not, um, and you guys know, if you listen to me, I, I don't typically bet uh, over unders. I don't typically bet spreads uh, because I don't typically think that there's an significant edge. So if I'm betting one of those, it's a spot where I feel like, Hey, if we play this out a hundred times, I'm going to win this bet 65% of the time, 70% of the time, as opposed to, you know, 52, 53, 54. Uh, I'm not in a state where I can bet right now, but if I were, this is a game where I would definitely have some money on the over because I feel highly confident, uh, especially the, the bills team total over feel highly confident in the way that this game can shape up if we played out this slate a hundred times. So both teams will come, come in with an aggressive mindset. So really like this game as a spot that could separate. And then we have, you know, there's six other games, right? So we have a couple that stand out to me as really interesting spots. Uh, one of those is the Steelers and the Bengals. Really low game total here. But uh, Bengals allow the second most yards per game in the NFL. Steelers actually allow the fifth most yards per game in the NFL. So this, the Bengals side is a little less interesting here because 
A, the, the Steelers are so good in the red zone, right? That's why they're one of the better scoring defenses in the NFL. B, it's Jake Browning under center for the Bengals. And C, pricing doesn't get adjusted or didn't get adjusted, right? So these guys are priced for Joe Burrow being under center and Joe Burrow's not under center. So um, I will have some Jamar Chase. I think there are some interesting angles there in large field play. Uh, I'm sure I'll have some Joe Mixon, but that side doesn't stand out to me as much. But the Steelers side, what we have is guys who are all appropriately priced for their typical range of production, their typical usage, playing in a matchup that boosts their typical range of production, their typical, you know, expectation for scoring output. Uh, Bengals 30th in DVOA against the run. So uh, they're in a, they're priced where they're typically priced as if no, nothing has changed uh, for the negative or positive, right? They're in a matchup that positively boosts them and then they fired Matt Canada. So what's the worst that happens here? The worst that happens here with Matt Canada being fired is that things stay relatively neutral. The Steelers, this is, I mean, this is a team that kept Bill Cower for, what was it, 15 years without a Super Bowl win. He won his Super Bowl right at the end of his tenure. Then they hired Mike Tomlin. He won a Super Bowl, and I believe it was his second season as the head coach. Maybe it was his first season. And he's been there for whatever it's been, 15 plus, actually over 15 years. That Super Bowl was 20. 2004, maybe it was 2000. Yeah, it's like 2004. Um, and so he's been there ever since then, right? So uh, 2004 was a Patriots Super Bowl win, but it was somewhere in there, 2005 season, maybe it was that, um, that he got that Super Bowl win. Oh, Mike Tomlin was 2000. Sorry, I'm going back in the time machine in my mind. Mike Tomlin was actually 2000. What was that? 2008 season in the two, 2009 Super Bowl. Uh, actually, that's what it was. So uh, he's been there since that era, right? So he's been there like 15 years. Could have looked all this up. Didn't have to... Um, uh, think to that out loud, but uh, Mike Tomlin again. They they value stability. That's my point. Uh, Steelers value stability. They don't typically fire guys in season. Um, they're not one of these teams like, hey, you haven't won a Super Bowl in five years. We're getting rid of you. Uh, they find a good coach. They stick with them. They got rid of Matt Canada in season. So worst case, things are going to stay static, and these guys are priced where they should be priced, and the match was a little bit better than normal. Uh, what can Sullivan change as a play caller heading into this game? Well, there's not a lot. You know, uh, Pete Overset and I were talking about this. On, his, on my show with him today, but in terms of like pre-snap motion and all that stuff, there's really not a lot that you can do in season, in my opinion, because so much of that is predicated on timing and you have to practice it a lot to get the timing just right on those things. Um, but what you can do is you can change who you're emphasizing in the offense and the areas of the field that you're emphasizing. So obviously a lot talked about that. That's kind of like a, a heat map where it's just like cold right down the middle of, of the field for the Steelers offense, where they just don't throw the ball over the middle of the field, which is one of the more valuable areas to target. So one would think that they're going to target that part of the field a little bit more here. And then my very first thought when this, when this news of Matt Canada's firing came through was, and I bet they really emphasize Jalen Warren here. Uh, and then uh, I believe Chris Long said the same thing this week. Uh, Chris Sims, I believe, said the same thing this week. The PFF guys said the same thing this week. Uh, Jeremy Fowler of ESPN said the same thing this week. That was kind of his expectation was that the Steelers would emphasize Jalen Warren uh, more in the spot, right? So last two weeks, Jalen Warren has been the starter for the Steelers. And yet Najee Harris has still played more snaps, gotten more touches. So uh, this seems like an opportunity for this to become one of these 60-40 splits or 65-35 splits in favor of Jalen Warren. Uh, I won't be surprised if he gets 17 to 22 touches in this spot in a really good matchup. A guy who's averaging 6.2 yards per carry leads the NFL among all qualified rushers. So uh, I think that this spot is very interesting for the Steelers side of the ball. I think Jalen Warren is interesting. I think George Pickens is interesting. I even think Pat Fryermuth is interesting. Pat Fryermuth, a guy who, in fact, let me uh, look this up real quickly. Uh, 
I want to look up Pat Fryermuth's uh, fantasy points per game last year or his game logs from last year. So bear with me just a moment while I look this up on um, fantasy data, fantasydata.com, which shout out to them. I always use them for this, but uh, let's see. So last year, 12.5, this is DraftKings points, 12.5, 12 12.2, 6.1, 15.5, 3.2, 15.5, 9.7, 7.6, 15.9, 6.9, 10.6, 12.3, right? Double digit scores over and over and over again. Same quarterback, same personnel around him. Uh, And so, you know, he's 2,900 and he's, you know, people look through his game logs. He's only played five games this year. They've all been kind of duds. Uh, So it's, it's one of these spots where like one or two of these guys is probably going to put up a really nice game this week. If this offense decides to emphasize George Pickens a little bit more, if this offense decides to emphasize uh, Jalen Warren a little bit more, I touched on this in the DFS interpretations this week, but the, uh, the Bengals have been hit for big scores by, by for big yardage totals by like four or five different guys who profile similarly to George Pickens uh, like, Oh, several of them, like 110, 120 plus yards on like seven to nine targets, right? Which is basically what the George Pickens profile is, is this guy who can hit these big plays on sort of limited targets. So uh, really interesting game there. Uh, And then the other one of like, hey, the, the total is low. The game environment doesn't look good. The game as a whole doesn't look good, but there are players here who are interesting. Uh, Adam Thielen and Derrick Henry. So, uh, don't need to dig too deep into this matchup with the Panthers run defense. We know they face the highest opponent rush play rate in the NFL, uh, ninth lowest opponent pass rate over expectation. We know that the Titans are one of the run heaviest teams in the NFL. Uh, interesting data point is that the Titans have played only three games in Nashville this year. We're going into week 12. They had a quote home game overseas, only three other home games so far. Uh, they've been road game heavy to start the year. Five of their next seven games are at home. So just sort of one of those weird schedule quirks. They're actually 3-0 at home as well, or 3-0 in Nashville. Um, more importantly, Derrick Henry has 22 to 25 carries in all three Titans wins, averaging 12.7 carries per game in their losses. We know that he's very game script dependent. Well, isn't this the type of game where Tennessee can stay close to where even if they lose, right, it's close enough that he gets those 22 to 25 carries. And don't they have a decent shot, like a better than, better than 50, 50 shot at winning this game, which isn't usually the case. And uh, one of the best running back matchups in the NFL. So Derek Henry, very interesting in this spot. And then Adam Thielen, right. We talked about guys scoring 27.2 or more DraftKings points. Adam Thielen's one of these guys who's there's a reason his price climbed from 3,600 at the start of the year, or 3,900, whatever it was up into the mid seven K's. It's because he he's tied with Jamar Chase and uh, Stefan Diggs and A.J. Brown and Christian McCaffrey and Tank Dell for the most games of 27.2 or more DraftKings points. He's tied with these guys for the most like high-end games, and he's had a couple down games and bad matchups, and everybody's kind of forgotten about him. Uh, and then the, kind of those 14, 15-pointers sprinkled in before that, right? So it's been a little while since he's hit, but very clearly he's capable of doing it. and And what better spot to do it in than against this Tennessee Titans defense, uh, Tennessee Titans defense that uh, let's see, I have this in my notes as well. So similar to the Eagles allowing four quarterbacks to, to put up these types of scores, the Titans have allowed four different wide receivers to put up 27.2 or more DraftKings points. So no individual pass catcher in the NFL has done this four times this year. And yet four different players against Tennessee have done it. So like just alpha wide receiver against Tennessee is the best wide receiver in the NFL in terms of DFS ceiling production, right? So a uh, really good spot for Adam Thielen. So wanted to highlight those spots of like, 
hey, these games don't stand out. But again, because these games don't stand out, this is why like uh, Christmas came early for me t- today. I, like, you know, had all my thoughts laid out as just like, hey, these are the sharpest plays on the slate, the Bills passing attack, um, you know, some other pieces mixed in around there, which, which we'll get to in the player grid, but Bills passing attack, Thielen, Henry, uh, uh, Jalen Warren. And then I open ownership projections this morning. It's like uh, all these guys are, you know, Bill's obviously uh, Josh Allen is not sub 3%. He's like eight, 9% as of Friday morning. Um, but Stefan Diggs really low projected ownership. I was like scrolling down, like did I miss Stefan Diggs. Um, Gabe Davis 0.5% as of right now, Khalil Shakir low projected ownership, Dalton Kincaid, the only guy drawing ownership from this passing attack. And then uh, the, you know, Jalen Warren sub 3%, uh, George Pickens, I believe was sub 3%. Um, Adam Thielen sub 3%, Derek Henry sub 3%, maybe sub sub 4% those guys. But uh, yeah, so just really a nice spot. Like what more could you ask for than your favorite plays on the slate all being low owned, right? So uh, these are the types of weeks where uh, I remember, uh, you know, one of my best weeks ever was a week where it was 2000. 15, 2015. And I was just convinced that bears and lions, like I kept going through all these factors of why this bears and lions game was like one of the best games on the slate. And the over under was, was pretty low. And the thing was like 43 and a half and nobody was on the game. And to me, I was just like, well, I'm seeing it. So if nobody else is seeing it all the better for me, game ended up being a 37 to 31 game that went into overtime. Uh, I rarely play the Millie maker. I played it that week with like 20 rosters. One of my rosters was sitting in first place for two and a half or three hours, ended up finishing in 12th place in the Millie maker, uh, uh, took down like a, a qualifier that was like a 10,000 entry qualifier on that slate. Uh, just had a big weekend because it was like, man, I see this. It makes a lot of sense to me. And, and, the field is not it because they're relying too heavily on the um, the implied team totals, the over-under. So this feels like that type of week where if I could play out 100 weeks like this with this type of setup, uh, I would make more money in these 100 weeks than I would in any other 100 types of weeks. So uh, I'm fully aware that there's going to be instances in this sample size where things don't break in my favor and I just don't make money on this week or I lose money on this week. But uh, play out this slate 100 times and this is the type of week where I would make uh, like kind of make up for any other types of weeks that don't set up well for me and and really set myself up uh, for big profit for like, you know, one of those weeks that has potential to set me up for the year's worth of profit, right. By year's worth of DFS entry. So um, yeah, I just kind of want to lay all that out. Doesn't mean it's going to play out that way, but really like this slate. Um, Last thing before we get to the bottom up build, I want to mention, just kind of ask yourself this question, what could separate? I think that's an important question to ask yourself on this week. It is, not a week where we're probably going to see a lot of players scoring 30 plus points, right? There might be three, four, five, six guys on the slate who score 30 plus points. So be hunting through that, right? And when you're rostering guys, be thinking, can this guy be one of those pieces? So even if they're maybe not in the best spot, or maybe you're like, uh, I don't think this guy is going to do it. Like, can they do it? That's one of the questions that you should be asking because we, we want to make sure that any of the guys who can do it are in our player pool on this week, because uh, if there's only a few who do it, being able to like mix and match those guys is going to give you like a much clearer shot at a first place finish than anything else could give you. Uh, and then what games can ascend, right? So kind of that list of games that I had, and maybe you see a different game or maybe one of the, maybe a different game from that group stands out to you. Maybe Eagles and Bills isn't the one that stands out to you the most, but finding that game that could separate uh, is going to be very important this week. Okay. Let's get to the bottom up build. Uh, if you are, new here um 
for those of you listening, that was a drink of water. Um, if you are new here, first off, welcome. Secondly, thanks for sticking around through all of this. Thirdly, hopefully you've been listening on 2x speed. Fourthly, uh, remember to check out the Black Friday deals on the site. Uh, if you are wanting to, again, we OWS fam took down the slant last weekend, second time this year that we've done that. Uh, if you pay attention, you will see the OWS pennant. The slant's a good one to look at because, uh, you know, about 20,000 entries, uh, MME contest, $9 entry. So uh, nice spot for people to kind of take their shots on 25 rosters, 50 rosters, 100 rosters, whatever it might be. And uh, pay attention, you'll notice you see anywhere from 15 to 25 OWS pennants in the top 100 most weeks. So uh, if you are kind of wanting to figure out how you can learn more about not just who the good plays are, but like how to put those good plays together, maximize your paths to a first place finish, uh, check out the Black Friday deals because again, um, pretty sweet prices and you still get seven weeks of the regular season, all of the playoffs um, moving forward. Okay, bottom up build. So if you're new here, the bottom up build, we, uh, well, I won't go through the full description like I typically do, but basically we build with a salary cap of 44K. That allows us to get a sense of who some of the sharper value pieces are on the slate, uh, but also allows us to talk through roster construction strategy and theory and how we might try to win a contest in which everybody's working with 44K in salary cap. We then also have a contest in which everyone is working with 44K salary cap. It's called the Bottom Up Build Contest. You can find the link in my player grid, which is in the scroll on OWS. Uh, in fact, let me help you navigate real quickly to the scroll you go on the site uh and typically we have it we have it featured on the home page because uh you want to find the scroll but we got our black friday stuff featured on the home page right now so uh you go to the nfl edge and click right here on the scroll uh, also probably on saturday I'll, I'll add the link up here in the eyebrow where currently we have the countdown on props spots remaining so the scroll is basically one it's one giant long form article you could call it um uh, but you can just jump around to whichever article you want really cool setup. Uh, all of our late week strategy content and player pool stuff in one piece. Uh, Sonic uh, Millie Maker winner here's his MME pool. Uh, Poppy top DFS player gives us his player pool. Mike uh, top DFS player gives us his player pool. I give you my player pool. So uh, and then here's a awesome strategy piece with uh, that Hilo puts together uh, around the industry where you've got a cheat sheet of like some tier stuff from uh, people from Roto Grinders and Run Pure and CBS and uh, and fantasy points and all, all these different sites. So really cool piece there as well. So uh, yeah, basically um, dive into all of this on the site. That's where you can find it. Uh, so you can find the link to the bottom up build in my player grid. You can also find it in the OWS discord uh, in the bottom up build channel. But uh, we have a contest, 44K salary cap, uh, 250 edge points to first place, which is $250 worth of free courses on the site. 150 edge points to second. I think it's 100 edge points to third, kind of on down to fifth place. Uh, winner also gets a special Discord color. So uh, a decade from now, everyone will still know that you are a bottom-up build winner. Uh, with that, my bottom-up build, really a fun one this week. So I'm going to start out with uh, one guy I want to talk a little bit about, and that is Greg Dortch. So Greg Dortch, we're actually trending toward, probably trending toward him being a little bit more popular because we're trending toward Hollywood Brown missing latest reports, 
Hollywood Brown missed practice on Friday after missing practice on Thursday. And I think he was actually a midweek downgrade, which uh, typically indicates an injury picked up in practice and uh, typically means the guy's going to end up missing the game. So uh, could end up trending toward Greg Dortch being more popular. Michael Wilson is already going to be out. But uh, I was pulling this up on my show with uh, with Squirrel Patrol on Roto-Grinders earlier today. But Greg Dortch is one of these guys who we kind of think of as like, oh, yeah, but his ceiling isn't that high. I feel like that's kind of the perception around him. So last year, obviously, if, if you played DFS last year, played fantasy last year, you remember that Greg Dortch had kind of like long stretches where he wasn't playing at all. But then anytime he was on the field, he commanded targets. Anytime he was on the field, he was getting open. And so uh, he had these like six games where he had uh, time on the field. One of those games, he only had four targets. He got four for 55 and a touchdown kind of bailed out people with that touchdown. Another game, he had 10 targets and only caught four of them for 15 yards. What happened in his other four games where he saw heavy, heavy time on the field, nine targets, 10 targets, 10 targets, 11 targets. Again, this guy commands targets. What did he do with those tar- targets? Nine targets. This is with Kyler under center as well, in, in case you feel that matters. Uh, nine targets, caught seven for 63 yards. 10 targets. He got nine out of 10 targets for 80 yards. Those were both with Kyler. Without Kyler, uh, 10 targets. He caught nine for 103 yards. Uh, Another one, 11 targets. He caught 10 for 98 yards. Uh, He had two touchdowns last year in this limited time on the field. None of them were in these heavy target games. So certainly capable of putting together nine catches for 103 yards and adding the touchdown to that. So Greg Dortch's ceiling, I think, is a lot higher than people probably give it credit for. Uh, and his floor is really high as well. Again, when he's out there, when he's when he's on the field, he tends to command targets. And when he's commanding targets, uh, he's picking up yards. So uh, he's catching those passes. He's picking up yards. So Greg Dortch, uh, this, is, this is new, right? I, I just saw the Hollywood Brown news right before I started recording this. But my first thought was, I might play Dortch on, on 100% of lineups. That's crazy, right? But like, I literally might do that because... It, when he's on the field, he's going to command targets. He's not going to break your roster because he's going to have a high floor. He's going to catch, you know, his bad game is going to catch five passes for 60 yards. Now there's those outlier games, 10 targets. He catches four of them for 55 yards and doesn't score. Even that, that's 9.5 points. Or maybe there's an outlier where he only gets seven targets and catches three for 40. He's 3,300. Like how often do you roster a 3,300 guy who only goes for seven points? And like, you still have a shot at first place because, you know, that's the piece that can like really catapult you upward but there's still a lot that you can build around that. Um, Marquise Brown plays. I probably don't play 100% Greg Dortch, but he's definitely very interesting to me just because when he's on the field, he commands targets. I actually played a little bit of him in week one because it wasn't totally clear who the starters were going to be for the Arizona offense. He was 0% owned. Um, You know, week one's a time to take shots. That was a week I had 6% Puka Nakua and he was 0.3% owned and had his first big game there and had a little bit of Greg Dortch and he did nothing, right? But uh, Greg Dortch is just a guy who I think is, is... like his skills fit so well with what an NFL offense needs, which is a guy who gets open. Uh, last thing I'll say on this is, uh, you know, I said, I said in the off season, watching all this stuff coming out from Texans beat writers about tank Dell and posting, they were posting all these clips from tank Dell in training camp practices. And there was no, like he wasn't a starter heading into the season. But what I said was, uh, and I kept saying this on Twitter at the time, like tank Dell is going to force his way onto the offense at some point. And once he's on the, once he's on the field, in fact, my, um, my hot take in my show with Squirrel Patrol in week two, the first time Tank Dell was getting a chance to start, he was only 3,200. And I said, Tank Dell is not going to lose the starting job. That was my hot take was that by the time Noah Brown came back, 
Tank Dell would be the starter, would have earned his way to that starting role. Uh, we still don't know because we haven't had all three wide receivers healthy yet this year. But um, Tank Dell, like because he gets open, he commands targets. When a guy is open, you're going to end up throwing the ball to him. Greg Dorch is not Tank Dell, but he's the same type of thing where he commands targets when he's on the field. So uh, Greg Dorch wanted to highlight him in this space. Um, next play I put in here was Khalil Shakir. And you can probably venture a guess as to why my thought is, how do I get in Josh Allen on this bottom-up build roster? Something I've learned from watching people building in the bottom-up build contest. I used to just use the bottom-up build to be like, hey, here are the best value plays on the slate. Uh, and then watching people win the bottom-up build contest where they would kind of figure out a way to fit in. And there was one week where somebody got Nick Chubb in and Chubb went for like 34 points and they won the bottom-up build contest. And that kind of sparked people starting to look for, okay, how do I fit in one of these high-priced guys uh, for this bottom-up build contest? So um, uh, Khalil Shakir, guy with a lot of upside. One of the things I like about Shakir, we kind of look through his game logs and you see the targets and it's like, okay, four targets, two targets, four targets, six targets, four targets. This is all, uh, we'll, we'll skip the games before Dawson Knox got hurt. So since Dawson Knox got hurt, you know, four targets in three of these games, six targets in one, two in another. And you can kind of look at that and see, say, yeah, well, he doesn't really get like the high target games. I had the same argument against Brandon Cooks the week when he ended up putting up 35 points, getting 12 targets, right? Because you look through his 10 targets, you look through his game logs, it's four targets, four targets, four targets, four targets. Uh, and you're like, yeah, he doesn't really get more than four targets. Uh, then he goes out and has this big game where I had that stacked up a different way. I didn't have Brandon Cooks on my rosters, you know, or, or I had just a little bit of Brandon Cooks uh, as like leverage off of CeeDee Lamb and um, wasn't thinking like, hey, Brandon Cooks could come out and have a 10-target game. Realistically, Khalil Shakir could come out and have one of those types of games. Uh, next piece I put on here was Gabe Davis. So uh, Gabe Davis, uh, actually, let me kind of make sure that I have this right. So he hit in weeks two, five, and eight. In weeks two, five, and eight, Josh Allen had 37 pass attempts, 40 pass attempts, and 40 pass attempts. Uh, Josh Allen has only one other game, two other games this year with 37 or more pass attempts. So in 60% of the games where Josh Allen's had 37 plus pass attempts, Gabe Davis has hit. The Eagles average opponent throws the ball 40.5 times. So 40.5 times per game for the Eagles average opponent. Uh, Josh Allen, one of the pass heaviest, obviously quarterbacks, one of the pass heaviest offenses is in the NFL. So we would expect this to be another 37 plus pass attempt game for Josh Allen. A really good chance for Gabe Davis to hit. And he's current, currently projecting for 0.5% ownership. So uh, his price tag, you know, this isn't Gabe Davis last year where he was 6,300 and 6,800. Uh, and they kind of held his price there throughout the season. This is Gabe Davis at 5,300. Uh, three times this year, he's gone for 4x or better uh, scores of 21.2, 23.7, and 25.0. So uh, really nice play here. Leave Steph Diggs off this roster would be pretty impossible to fit Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs and still a good roster around it. Uh, but this allows me to go to Josh Allen and have this Khalil Shakir, Gabe Davis, Josh Allen roster with a guy in Greg Dortch, who I feel really should be priced like 46, 4,700. Um, if Hollywood Brown is out, I would say Greg Dortch should be priced at like 55, 5,600. He's 3,300, right? So I kind of get those savings as well right there. My next spot in this roster, I swung over to the running back spot uh, and put in Jalen Warren. We've already talked about him, put in Derrick Henry. We've already talked about him. Going to be a popular range of, of running back pricing, both in the bottom-up build and in, in actual real-life 50K salary cap tournaments. So um, kind of like that I was able to kind of do something different with Dortch, Gabe Davis, Khalil Shakir, Josh Allen, 
uh, build something different as my starting point, then I don't don't have to worry about the salary range of running back. Uh, salary obviously matters if you're if you're new to this type of stuff. Salary matters just in terms of if you can kind of push your salary into different places and you just end up with different roster constructions than other people, different player combinations than other people are going to have. Uh, this is a week where it is pretty optimal to stay. Ever since last year, because of the way the running back position has developed in the NFL, uh, it's been optimal to go to the, these cheaper running backs. Um, and so, and then on this particular week, it's even more optimal because the plays up at the top aren't that great. So, I don't mind being in this in this optimal running back range, but I get some lower owned pieces around that with the way I'm building this Josh Allen stack uh, and with Jalen Warren currently coming in with low ownership projections, Derek Henry currently coming in with low ownership projections. Uh, Next up, I went with Pat Fryermuth. Uh, I wanted to fit in one more like high upside piece. I put in Pat Fryermuth, already talked through his game logs. Uh, Very, very possible for, you know, at these price tags, Jalen Warren and Pat Fryermuth combined for 8.3K in salary. So when you talk about there being 55 to 75 points available in this bucket from the Steelers. Well, what if they get up to that 65 points, right? And what if Pickens and Deontay Johnson combine for 25 to 30? Um, or I should say Pickens and Deontay Johnson and Najee Harris. What if Najee Harris only gets five or six points, right? So uh, Pickens and Deontay combine for 25 and Najee gets five, 30, right? Well, there's still 35 points left over that Jalen Warren and Pat Fryermuth could be combining for. So obviously Jalen Warren, is he capable of scoring 20 points? Well, he put up uh, 26.5 last week against Cleveland Cleveland defense. He put up 22 the week before against Green Bay. He put up 14.3 the week before against Tennessee. And that is with carry counts of 11 or going back backward of 9, 15, and 11. So let's say he gets 17 to 22 touches this week. Very capable of putting up 20 plus points. And we already saw the Pat Fryermuth last year, all these 12 to 15 point games. So uh, they easily could combine for 4X their combined salary. I don't mind playing these two guys together. Uh, Don't mind playing um, Jalen Warren and George Pickens together either. Just some interesting ways to play around with things there. Uh, And then uh, what this allows me to do is I go down to the Texans defense, Texans defense, who they've had two bad games this year. They had a game where they put up zero defense special teams points against Tampa and a game where they put up negative one defense special teams points against Indianapolis. Their next worst game was four points against Atlanta. Their next worst game was seven DraftKings points. They have seven, eight, eight, eight. 10, 12, and 13. They're playing a Jags team that everybody's kind of piling up onto on their rosters. Uh, And so we get some leverage, some nice leverage here where it's going to be a low-owned defense. Also, if they're having a good game, it's hurting the rosters that are rostering Trevor Lawrence. So that's a defense that I like this week from a strategy standpoint and a salary savings standpoint. Uh, And then doing that allowed us, instead of kind of getting down to this 5K wide receiver range where we're either going with Christian Kirk, who, you know, kind of all these double digit scores, but not a lot of ceiling games, a 20 pointer an 18 pointer or 25 pointer, but also typically seeing like six, seven targets. Um, so this allows us to kind of move above like a really popular guy in Christian Kirk, who's a solid play, but like, how do we get different? How do we get more ceiling? And then also kind of the rest of that 5k wide receiver range is more thin than it typically is. Uh, and that allows us to get up to Nico Collins. So talking through uh, what we've talked through in this, in today's podcast of players who have gone for 27.2 or more DraftKings points. Uh, we mentioned, I believe we mentioned that, you know, the Titans have produced two of those scores. The Panthers have produced three. The Giants have produced two. Yeah, we did talk about this. Uh, the Bengals have produced four. The Saints have produced two. The Eagles have produced five. The Bills have produced three. Well, the the Texans have produced eight. I mean, just like an outlandish number. Uh, C.J. Stroud struggled 
in, in the box score in week one against that really tough Baltimore defense on the road, his first NFL game, uh, had kind of a cold stretch weeks five through eight with the bye in there. So that was three games. Every other game this year, CJ Stroud has played well. Every single one of those games, there's only been, you know, throw out Robert Woods, who's kind of there as like a leader and he's going to block well and he's going to catch some passes, but he's not like the upside guy. Uh, only every other game, only two of these guys have been healthy and on the field. Tank Dell was healthy week one, but didn't have the role yet. So it was Nico and Noah Brown. And then it was Nico and Tank Dell and Nico and Tank Dell. And then, you know, it's always been kind of two guys, right? Every single one of these weeks outside of, you know, Baltimore. And then this kind of cold stretch weeks, five through eight, every single one of these weeks, one of these guys has gone for hundred yards. And five of those weeks, one of those guys has scored a touchdown along with their hundred plus yards. So um, chances are pretty good that one of Nico or Tank Dell is going to go for hundred yards and touchdown in this spot. So uh, I'm going to throw Nico Collins onto this roster. I'll mix and match these guys across a lot of my builds this week. I'm sure uh, giving us a final bottom up build, probably one of my favorite bottom up builds that I've had of uh, Josh Allen, Gabe Davis and Khalil Shakir as the starting point. Uh, Greg Dortch opening up some salary for us. Uh, Derek Henry and Jalen Warren at running back. Uh, Pat Fryermuth at tight end. Nico Collins at wide receiver. Texans defense. Uh, saying that in order: Josh Allen, Derek Henry, Jalen Warren, Nico Collins, Greg Dortch, Gabe Davis, Pat Fryermuth, Khalil Shakir, and the Texans defense. Uh, really nice bottom-up build roster. I actually don't usually enter the actual bottom-up build tournament, but maybe I will this week. Uh, see if I can take that thing down. Um, get get my uh, Discord color changed. Um, get some free courses as well. With that. As always, thanks for hanging out. I think the internet held up decently well. Um, I see my face is still a little fuzzy, but this is still recording, so that's a win. Uh, I actually lost lost connection midway through my show with Pete. Um, we had to kind of work around some things. But uh, yeah, with that, as always, thanks for hanging out. Uh, grateful to you guys for watching, for listening every week. Uh, super grateful to this. I say this in the playroom this week, but um, super grateful to the OWS fam, obviously, we have a ton of great content providers on the site, a ton of great partners uh, for the site, but really the, I think the community is like what makes OWS special, what makes OWS kind of stand out when people show up uh, really is the community and the, the OWS fam and like how sharp the OWS fam is, how active the discord is. Um, and just like what a great place it is to just be, what, what a great place to be part of what a great community to be a part of. Uh, but yeah, what a great place it is to hang out. And, and so, yeah, um, grateful to you guys who watch this, who participate, who ask questions, who learn, who are always growing as DFS players and also using DFS to kind of grow in other areas of life, something that we love doing at OWS. So uh, with that, I'm out of here. Uh, I'm going to go finish up the player grid. I will see you guys on the site throughout the weekend. And I will see you at the top of the leaderboards on Sunday. Yeah.